0: Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your LNC skills. I'm Pat Iyer, the host of the show. Every week, you will see or hear interviews with experts and tips from them as well as from me that will help you develop the knowledge that you need to succeed in this exciting field. I want to hear from you. Share your thoughts about the show by going to podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. Look for a red button on the homepage. When you click on that button, you can leave me a question or share a compliment or a suggestion about the show. I want to hear from you. Coming up, March 14, 15, and 16, 2024, join us for the 9th LNC Success Online Conference. This is an event where you can get support, a community, and knowledge about the specialized field of legal nurse consulting. Get your ticket by going to this link, lnc.tips forward slash March 2024 virtual. And if you see this podcast or hear this podcast after that date, Go to the link and you'll be able to invest in the recordings. I'll see you there. Now, let's go to the show. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, the only and longest podcast for legal nurse consultants specifically to help you as an LNC build your business. I have with me today a nurse attorney who has experience as a trial attorney as an instructor in a legal nurse consulting program and as a person who has helped attorneys behind the scenes as well as being an expert. Welcome to Arlene Klepatsky.
1: Thank you, Pat. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: We're gonna talk about a topic today that's important for both expert witnesses and legal nurse consultants behind the scenes as well as attorneys. And that is the topic of expert witnesses and the flaws that they might have in their backgrounds on their resumes and what that means for a case when those flaws come out. So we'll start fundamentally, Arlene, with why are expert witnesses so important for the success of a case?
1: That's the, the biggest question of all, and uh, most people think of the importance of an expert witness as being providing testimony in the case to uh, instruct the jury and instruct uh, the judge. Um, and and very often, that is the case, but it's, it's more than that. Um, very often, as you know, in law, there are certain required elements that are beyond the knowledge of the jury that have to be proven in order to prove and win a case. And that's where uh, attorneys need uh, knowledgeable and competent expert witnesses to provide those pieces. An example that would be a standard of care witness in a medical malpractice case, that could be a nurse. The nurse knows the standard of care for uh, monitoring labile blood pressure or or, uh, monitoring drug responses in, in the hospital. All of those things are standards of care that the jury wouldn't know about. And there has to be the legal evidence of it produced in court.
0: Now, you've highlighted the importance in terms of being a liability expert. Are there other types of testimony that expert witnesses might provide?
1: Yes. Um, It could be something like uh, accident reconstruction, Uh, that sometimes comes down to liability as well, but um, the jury has to understand really what happened in a certain situation. Um, Maybe they can relate to medical care, but maybe they can't relate to a machine malfunctioning and uh, causing harm to someone, or they can't relate to why something fell off a bridge on a freeway, uh, looking at the welds and things like that. So they're often scientific or technical issues that are beyond the knowledge of the jury. And it just explains to the jury how this can happen. Other areas are uh, damages. Nurses can often offer evidence as well, uh, especially with respect to damages. Um, life care planners can offer, uh, can they, they can value a case and, and say how much uh, the case is worth, and it actually provide testimony on that. They can also uh, look at um, future cost projections and other issues that come up. uh, An economist can then come in and say what that money is going to be worth in in future dollars. Um, Let's see, there are are many, many other areas that that experts help in. And um, anything that's out of the knowledge of the jury and is important to the case.
0: It becomes critical then from what you're saying that that expert have impeccable credentials, no flaws in his or her background that the other side could exploit. Can you tell us about the process of figuring out if any of those holes exist?
1: Yes, it's very important to find them because that is a a good avenue for winning one's own case. You you want to be able to discredit the expert in the eyes of the jury. You don't want them really to believe all of the things that they're saying. And very often, especially in LNC, can find holes that indicate that they aren't really what they're saying they are, or they haven't done the background work that they said they've done, or they don't have the certifications, or their licensure has lapsed. Uh, They're is uh, research of publications that experts have um, have out there that could actually provide inconsistent inconsistent information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and I know from
0: having spent 20 years testifying as a liability expert for medical surgical cases, that there were times that when I was being deposed, the opposing counsel would ask me about my publications. Were any of my publications related to the issues in the case? Which ones? Would I please give them a copy of my books that related to the publications, which I would very nicely say, they're available from the publisher. You're more than welcome to buy it but I am not going to supply it to you. Well, could you photocopy chapters for me? No, I cannot do that because that would violate the copyright clearance laws and I'm not permitted to photocopy chapters for you. You can buy it from the publisher. And that usually ended the discussion. Yes. (laughs) So from the perspective of The role of the expert, we talked about that person providing information that will help the jury understand some of the more technical aspects of the case. We talked about the fact that it's important to get those flaws identified. Do you only focus on opposing experts or do you do the same kind of vetting for experts that the attorney on your side of the case is interested in retaining?
1: Well, if you don't vet your own experts, then the other side will, and you can be preparing a case and declare that expert uh, and then have that expert disqualified because you didn't do your due diligence in the same kind of research that you're doing on the opposing expert. So it's very important to do the same level of research on your own experts.
0: Can you share a story about an expert who had a flaw that came out in the process of vetting the expert or worse, actually testifying?
1: Yes. Um, There was a nurse expert who, when I um, looked up her license, I found that uh, she had been sanctioned for insurance fraud when she worked for her husband's office. And that is something that is consistent with dishonesty, fraud, lying, uh, not to a person not to be believed. So that was a really important information for the opposing uh, attorney to know, and I believe he pulled her. And if they pull the expert too late, Uh, they can be left without an expert. And when that happens, sometimes the case is dismissed. Mm. It's that important. You make me think about
0: a woman who was on the other side of the case. I was the defense expert. She was the plaintiff expert. And she had a chronic illness that she referred to when she was deposed that prevented her from working consistently full-time. She had multiple sclerosis, and the attorney wanted to know if she was working at the time of the incident, which involved a patient who fell in the hospital. So he contacted the board of nursing, and the board of nursing said, "Um, yes, she was working, but would you like to know about when we sanctioned her? Oh, yes, do tell, he said. It turned out that her husband was a physician, and she got a hold of his prescription pad. This was many years ago before prescriptions were filed electronically to pharmacies, and she was writing herself prescriptions for Xanax. She did that 23 times, and that caused her license to be sanctioned because of illegally prescribing herself this medication. When the case went to trial, the attorney who hired her, who knew nothing about this, by the way, until the trial began, tried to prevent the jury from hearing about her misuse of the prescription pad. And the judge said and ruled that her activities were germane, To whether the jury would give her credence. So, they allowed the jury to find out about the prescription use and misuse.
1: That definitely goes to credibility. I agree.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, And it turned out that that was a case that the defense won. Now, there were many other factors that led to that defense victory, but one of them was that the jury didn't believe in anything that this expert said. They looked down on her for what she had gotten involved in, her drug taking and forging her husband's signature on the prescription pads was something that they considered when they evaluated her credibility. Absolutely.
1: That's a perfect example.
0: Yes. Let's talk about When you're looking for information, and I know you touched on it lightly before, but I'd like to go into it in a little bit more depth. You're looking for information about an expert. What are some of the sources that the LNC and the attorney should be considering? I've given you the board of nursing example, but I'm sure there's many others. Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Would you like to move your business to a higher profit level without additional cost? I am pleased to introduce to you a certified financial planner who is one of the speakers at our March 14, 15, and 16, 2024 LNC Success Online Conference. This is Karen Powell. Karen, please tell our viewer what are some of the things that you're going to be talking about during your conference session? Gladly.
2: So, as a profit acceleration specialist, I know that the cash flow is the lifeblood of every business and not just cash flow, but significant cash flow enough to create a profit. And that is not always the case when you put your efforts forth to increase your inflows, uh, that they are making a profit. So another aspect of that that we will uh, also explain is how to measure or um, have monitoring of your cash flow in the way of what we call key performance indicators—things uh, that you can monitor and make sure and uh, calculate your profit along the way. Uh, in addition to that, the the, the key components uh, that create the cash flow are, of course, a steady stream of business—not uh, only new business but recurring business. So, uh, obviously, creating loyal. Uh, customers and at the same time, finding ways to entice new customers will help you create that cash flow. Uh, but our bottom line is always to search for the profit and how to make that profit possible.
0: And you know, Karen, one of my favorite words is profit. And I know that it's a favorite word of the legal nurse consultants who are planning to come to our online conference. It's important to sign up now when you see this video in the link below, which is lnc.tips forward slash March 2024 virtual. If you see this video after the conference is over, we will have the recordings available to you. So be sure to sign up now and get in on the education, the community, the fellowship, and just the sheer joy of being with other people who think the same way you do, who view the world the same way you do, and are motivated to build and sustain their businesses. I'll see you at the conference.
1: Now let's return to the show. Right. Any kind of uh, licensure board uh, for any specialty, that would include architecture, that would include accountancy. So any board that's relevant. Also, in especially with medical cases, um, you can check out whether or not the person is board certified as they stated they are. Uh, sometimes that lapses, sometimes there's an exaggeration. Um, There was a a case I can remember where uh, the expert had on his resume that he was an engineer and that he worked as an engineer. But when his actual education was vetted, it turned out he had no engineering classes or degrees whatsoever. He just uh, decided to self-appoint himself with that Mm. title. (laughs) Wow. Wow.
0: I don't think that you can (laughs) grandfather yourself in as an engineer. Right.
1: So there there are sometimes surprises. So what an uh, LNC can do is vet the education, vet the licensure, vet board certification, vet um, previous workplaces or current workplaces. Um, Does that person have a reputation for being difficult to work with, that's a red flag with an expert. Maybe not so much with the um, credibility or criminal issues or whatever, but if there's an expert that's difficult to work with, that's a red flag because they might decide to take it away on their own on the stand and you always have to watch for that. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So just looking at how they've, uh, any problems they've had at work, that helps too.
0: You know, as you're talking about the sources, Arlene, I'm thinking about a couple of things. There was a physician that we were interested in referring to a client as an expert witness, and I did a search on his name, and I found out that he had been put in jail for a period because he stopped paying child support. And it had nothing to do with his academic credentials, but I found it in just a few minutes on Google. So I knew that opposing counsel could find it. Um, Another situation, not with an expert, but my husband was complaining of back pain and he wanted me, Pat, check out this physical therapy doctor. You know, what can you find out about him? and i did a search and i found out that he and his partner had been sanctioned by the government for medicare fraud they had to pay 1.7 million dollars because they were ordering unnecessary urine tests on people who had physical therapy problems so i said i don't can't tell you what his qualifications are as a physiatrist but I found this in two minutes on Google. You may not want to go to somebody who's been fined $1.7 million by the United States government for, in, for incorrectly and fraudulently
1: billing for urine tests. I agree, Pat. A lot of valuable information can come up with a simple Google search. And then there are other ways to use Google as well, like Google Scholar. You can actually do a case law search and uh, find out if people have been parties in cases. You can also find out if they've been experts in cases and see how that went. Uh, So the basic research tools are very important. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, with publications, it's not uncommon for expert witnesses to not list all of their publications on a CV. And um, that the, usually there's a reason for that. Maybe it's inconsistent with the theory they're proposing for the case. So it's important for the LNC to do um, detailed searches for authorship, whether it's journal articles, books, blogs, podcasts, check YouTube, all of those things. So Mm -hmm. the research skills uh, can quickly be honed when when, uh, you're doing this kind of work. Yeah, that's
0: a great point, Arlene, because it's gold for the opposing counsel to find something that directly contradicts the expert's opinion on the case.
1: Absolutely. And then that can be artfully used in cross examination by a good attorney. And uh, a case, can, the jury is just flabbergasted sometimes, and uh, then you win your case. Yes.
0: Let's talk a little bit about things that you might find in social media that an expert has posted. I get asked this question commonly Should I write a blog if I am an expert witness, should I create videos if I'm marketing myself as an expert witness? What's your take on that?
1: Well, you have to make it as though you know the opposing side will be looking at it. So when you do things like that, you want to be reasonable in your approach. Don't be absolutist and say always and never. Uh, Be calm and reasoned and, don't fly off the handle. I know in social media, sometimes people will post things that make them sound not very reasonable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes their biases can come out and, and bias is one of the things that we also look for. So anything out there in social media, an expert witness has to be aware that this will probably be read perhaps in front of the jury.
0: Yeah, that's a scary thought. (laughs) Yes. And I thought it would be helpful for our listener to know a little bit about the databases that exist, uh, particularly depositions and reports. Is there a way for an attorney to find out what this person testified to in prior
1: depositions? Yes, Pat, there are a number of ways that that can be done. Uh, Sometimes attorneys share among each other um, depositions of experts. There are databases though that one can go to. The attorneys have their own, uh, for example, the plaintiff's bar has a a database and the defense bar has its own database. And then uh, sites like Westlaw, which are uh, paid sites, but an LNC can be put on the attorney's account for certain um, cases. Uh, Westlaw does a good job at uh, including information about experts with respect to their prior testimony, whether or not they have been previously disqualified or if there have been other problems. So Mm -hmm. there are databases out there that can be used to look for prior testimony.
0: And to clarify, if you are a nurse working in a law firm for a plaintiff attorney, you can access that database through the attorney's account as a trial lawyer's trial lawyer, and the same for the defense.
1: Absolutely.
0: But you and I couldn't say, let's look up Arlene Klopatsky and find out what she has testified to. We have to be an attorney and a member of that professional association.
1: So in that case, see that. in that case, the LNC would would guide the attorney um, as to what is needed for the case. If there are databases that the LNC can't access, then you write a list of things you need to know, give it to the attorney, and have the attorney or paralegal look in their databases for um, what you want. So the LNC is actually disco- uh, creating a discovery plan around that topic and then the firm can use their databases to find out what you're looking for. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, yeah, that's an important distinction. I have seen a member of the plaintiff bar, a man who was for many years in charge of recruiting attorneys to share their transcripts and reports and he would stand with me and say, all right, Pat, let's look you up. Oh, well, let's see, you're in here for seven searches. And here are the cases, and I would look over his shoulder and, oh, yeah, I remember that one, and I remember that one, and but I couldn't have gone into that database myself, even as the
1: expert, to find out what was stored there. But that's an important point when one is an expert witness, um, to know that depositions are going to be shared among attorneys, and the opposing counsel will have read your depositions in previous cases.
0: Yes, if they're thorough and most of them are. Yes. I know you contributed a chapter to my book on medical record analysis, a guide for attorneys by expert LNCs. And it relates to what we're talking about today. Can you tell our listener what you included in that chapter?
1: Yes, Pat, I uh, included, uh in in greater detail than this podcast uh covers but it it starts with why use an expert witness in the first place and then it talks about how to vet them and uh, i go into all of the various topics that uh one can research and uh talks about social media how to research bias how to look for skeletons in the closet Uh, how to look for publications. And in fact, um, with respect to that, I included quite an extensive appendix on various uh, searches to do, to look for authorship. It might be, like I said before, that uh, an expert is trying to hide one of the publications that may not be helpful to the particular case, but with the sites that I have included, I think a pretty comprehensive search can be done. Nobody will escape Arlene, that's for sure. Well, somebody asked me one day, well, we shouldn't list uh, as an expert themselves, we shouldn't list our publications on our, our CVs because they will be read, they will be scrutinized. And I said, uh, It's my opinion that they will be found anyway. And why make it uh, suspicious that you didn't want to include that one? (laughs) And if you always have in mind when you're writing to be reasonable and uh, measured in what you say and always have a reason for the opinion that you're stating, then you can explain it in the courtroom.
0: Yes. And you want to establish your credibility and authority by documenting your publications.
1: I agree. So I'm in favor of uh, documenting those. I think it is very impressive.
0: And speaking of resumes and CVs, you and I are teaching a program at our upcoming conference, which is taking place March 14, 15 and 16, 2024. Oh yeah. We'll be doing a session together. And if you see this podcast after that, we will have the recordings available so that you can get all of the content from the conference. What are you planning to cover during that session, Arlene?
1: Well, we're gonna focus on resumes and CVs as part of um, vetting the expert witness. Uh, The participant will learn how to spot red flags or landmines in the the CV, and uh, it can that can be very valuable as a start for discrediting or having the the expert disqualified. Yeah,
0: that's um, a critical step, and we talked just a few minutes ago about trying to conceal information from a CV or resume. In this session, I'll be sharing information on how you can structure your CV to make it look attractive so it's not immediately rejected because of formatting issues. And you'll delve more into the content of what's on that document and how critical it is that you read that carefully and look for the flaws in that document. There might not be any, but, oh, I have seen so many that do have flaws in them that immediately made me as a independent contractor, not to want to supply that person as an expert because of the problems that I saw in their CV or resume. That's a great
1: point. Yes. And one just isn't always sensitive to the issues that uh, will come up in a trial. And uh, it is important to get this specialized knowledge. So you have an advantage
0: yes. when it comes
1: to uh, providing your
0: CV. Well, be sure to sign up for the conference at the link right below this video, which is lnc.tips forward slash March 2024 virtual. And we will love, we would love to have you attend the conference, enjoy the support, the community, the camaraderie, and the knowledge that comes along with being part of a conference specifically for legal nurse consultants. Join us there.
1: I think I've attended all but one of them, the very first one, and they are wonderful. And I can't wait to participate in March.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Hang on just a few seconds longer and you'll find out who's coming up next. And I'll join you again on Legal Nurse Podcast. And of
2: course, we're here with Pat Iyer the host of Legal Nurse Podcast. Pat, what were some of the things that we talked about in this
0: podcast today? We talked about some of the factors that you should consider in exhibiting, such as picking the right event. We talked also about the costs associated with exhibiting and it doesn't end with the space that you rent. There are additional costs for you to consider. In addition, we talked about what are some attractive giveaways. Many legal nurse consultants try to put themselves in the position of the attorney who's walking by a table and think what is going to attract their attention, what's going to be useful, what's going to stay on their desk. And then what are the considerations for location? Should you be determining is this an event that you can drive to or is this an event that you have to fly to and how does that affect your planning as well as if it's a one-day event what should you be keeping in mind as you're exhibiting versus a multi-day we covered all of these topics in the podcast coming up next on legal nurse podcast hope you come back and join us for that show I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out my resources at legalnursebusiness.com and join us for the March 14, 15, and 16, 2024 LNC Success Online Conference. Get your ticket today at lnc.tips/march2024virtual. I'll see you there.